0: Nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at the 2006 Sundance Film Festival, Puccini for Beginners, with Justin Kirk, Gretchen Mull, and Julianne Nicholson, is a bisexual, romantic-triangle, screwball, comedy-romance set in post-feminist, post-PC New York City. With us today is Maria Magenti, its director, known for her 1995 indie hit, the incredibly true adventures of two girls in love, Maria magenti, welcome to film school.
1: thank you. It's ha, funny I, to think about film school because I actually went to film school so yeah where did you I'm go back to film in film school
0: Where did you go to film school?
1: I was at the NYU graduate film school
0: the, did you enjoy yourself there?
1: no, I cried every day. oh really why is that <laughs> what happened um it, it was uh, it was a tough adjustment because I had gone from being a an activist, living a very radical life to. Uh-huh being in school with a a bunch of young people whose parents paid for everything. Uh So, um, yeah, it was kind of a culture shock is what it was. But anyway, it turned out great because that's that's actually where I met my colleagues that helped me make Two Girls, and that's where I learned filmmaking.
0: You were an activist. For what causes were you an activist?
1: I was involved with ACT-UP, which is the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power from Uh its inception in 1987 until 1991, pretty much.
0: Very good. Very good. Now, Tell us a little bit about Puccini for Beginners. Where did this idea start? Uh, how many years ago? By the way, I really enjoyed the film, too. I had a great time with it.
1: Oh, I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah, it Thank was a, a
0: fun, fun view. Um,
1: it, it started as part of a much larger piece. Uh, about, uh, about a year and a half after Two Girls came out, I was at the Sundance Writers Lab, and I was developing something I didn't know what it was called Everything So Far, which yeah. kind of was a 10-year-long comic, drama, or dramatic comedy, I guess you could say, about two families. And one of the families had a daughter who was having an affair with a man and a woman at the same time. It was a long, messy, unworked-out script, and one of my mentors at Sundance, Walter Bernstein, said, you've got a great story stuck in the middle of all these other stories, so why don't you just pull one out, and I think you should pull out the one about the girl who's seeing two people at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> and so I pulled it out and began to work on that character, Allegra. I got the script done and the story done very quickly, but it still took 10 years to get the movie made.
2: <laughs> what kept you from getting it completed? Was it finances? Well, Was it... I
1: think, yes, of course, as always, it's, it's, a lot of us have the same yeah. issues. Uh, financing, um, and especially because your financing is usually cast contingent, right. so that meant that people would be happy to do the movie if I could get And remember, it was 10 years ago, so the names would change, you know.
3: Mm -hmm. If I
1: could get Drew Barrymore, if I could get Kate Winslet, if I could get Cameron Diaz, if I, you know, Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to get those people. So that always makes financing and, and developing your movie extremely difficult. It's not a studio picture, and I wanted to be able to make the movie with the same freedom that I had with two girls. And, you know, what you sacrifice financially is what you gain creatively, usually, so that meant with a lower budget, the more freedom I had, and that's when Indigent came in.
2: Now, Indigent was the, the, the financial back Yes, they were the
1: producers of Puccini. Okay. They came in with the money, exactly, and they were well-known for Pieces of April right. and uh, Tadpole, and their model is one in which everything is made digitally, mm-hmm. and that was true with Puccini as well. The film was shot on high def and uh, not on film. So that lowers your cost quite a lot.
0: Was it transferred to film? Yes. Did you enjoy working in that format?
1: Um, I guess, you know, when you're actually shooting, uh-huh. everyone, every director is different. I'm just very, very happy when I'm shooting. It's where you really understand what you've been dealing with is in the post-production process. The colors and how much room you have with the blacks and the and the whites and the contrast. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I think I would, I would love someday to be able to shoot with a big fat thirty-five millimeter camera. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Does, doesn't lighting become a real issue in, in when you're shooting digital is it, as opposed to film? Is, it, is there a, actually
1: is... no? It doesn't. I mean, lighting is very quick and easy. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it's not so great for night exteriors, mm-hmm. uh, but you know that's one reason that we were able to do this. Uh, we shot this film in eighteen days. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it was able to move so quickly is is that shooting digitally meant that we just didn't have big setups. We do not have to have huge lighting setups. And in fact, the majority of my exterior shots, which were all in my former neighborhood of the West Village in New York City, uh, I mean, we shot with nothing more than, I mean, we had no silks. uh, Mm -hmm. It was was very much just natural light. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier uh, getting the film made. You know, people would say if you could get so and so and so and so. You yeah. got a great cast. Yes. Gretchen Mol is an established name. Justin yes. Kirk and Juliana Nicholson uh, and Elizabeth Reeser, who, if anyone saw Sweetland, I mean, they know these are actors that are definitely on the ascent. Right. Um, how much in- input did you have in the casting of the film?
1: Oh, I had all the input. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, they couldn't have cast it without me. I mean, the <laughs> casting director comes to you with names, obviously, and then, you know, had I fallen in love with someone who had never made a movie and that I just thought was really beautiful, I'm sure my, my producers would have stepped in, but all of us uh, knew that this cast was wonderful for the parts that they were in for and for the chemistry that they had with each other. And Justin was actually the first actor that was attached. Okay. And then Gretchen came in, and then I did not find Elizabeth until about a week and a half before we started shooting. Mm-hmm.
3: Wow.
0: So yeah. it was
1: very nerve-wracking.
2: And she's pretty much the lead. Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah
3: she,
1: she is. is. <laughs> she's in every every right. shot practically.
2: The flannel pajamas, Juliana Nicholson and Yeah, Julianne
1: and, and, and Justin are in, in are in that. Yeah. Now, was that
2: made before yours? Do you he know? was
1: no, he had already he was in post when we were in casting.
2: Okay. Uh,
1: the filmmaker Jeff, Jeff Lipsky and we knew each other in New York. It was just a funny coincidence that he had just worked with Justin and Julianne and I was just about to work with Justin and Julianne. But it was a sheer coincidence. I mean, it was really funny, you yeah. know? And Julianne and I know each other because I had written this Hollywood movie called The Love Letter. that came out in 1999, and she was the actress in it. And that director, Peter Chan, that was a DreamWorks film, was kind enough to let me be there when they were shooting. And she and I became friends. Mm-hmm. And so I had never forgotten her all these years. I was like, Julianne, I've right. got something for you. I swear, I swear, I swear, I swear. And I was finally able to make good on my promise. Was
2: that the Kate Capshaw film? Exactly. Lo- okay. Exactly, okay. yeah. Did they follow the script?
0: <laughs> or did you allow it's, the actors to, to improvise a little bit with what they were yeah, doing? It's
1: funny, you know, um, on Two lot. Girls, I had virtually no improvisation. Uh-huh. In this one, to be honest, uh, because it needed to have that high energy, fast paced quality, very similar to like uh, uh, Rosalind Russell in, in His Girl Friday, which actually is probably. As if it's a movie on speed, they talk so fast. <laughs> I made all of my cast watch old movies, actually. Yeah. <clears throat> the favorites were My Man Godfrey. I made them watch that. I made them watch It Happened One Night. Uh, I made them watch His what, Girl Friday, actually. And about- that was to understand mostly the mise-en-scene, which is the the ways in which, because of production and and technological issues, but ultimately become artistic ones, the ways in which the filmmakers had to shoot as if it were on a stage. So in other words, a lot of the shots, as you know, in those pictures are master shots. There's not a lot of coverage. Mm -hmm. So the onus is on the actors to to fill the frame with physical activity while they're speaking their dialogue. And that's very much how I wanted to shoot this film. I don't know if I actually pulled it off, but the idea was to try and get that screwball comedy feeling through the ways in which I had set up the shots, and, and so when the actors came up with something better than I wrote, which was a number of times, I was more than happy to give it to them. And the actress I would say who was the best at that was Tina Benko, who plays Nell, oh, who is yes. the ex-girlfriend. I right. mean, she was brilliant at, at taking the scene, understanding what I was going for, and then kind of, just flying from my own dialogue and, and coming up with stuff that's ten times better.
0: Well, she but came 80. off very nasty. And... Yes, yeah, she, she did. Yes, yes, she's
1: she nasty did. and funny. And yeah. Yeah,
0: she was. Yeah. we're speaking with Maria Magenti, the director of Puccini for Beginners.
2: Once, once you got the financing and you and once everything was together, you said you shot this in how many days?
1: Eighteen.
2: Eighteen. Eighteen days. Now, uh, The Adventures of Two Girls. How long was that sh- shoot for you? <laughs>
1: Well, <laughs> well, there you go.
2: Do you, do you find the pace exhilarating, or is it... Uh...
1: Uh, oh. I, you know, it's funny. I really wonder what it would be like when I talk to filmmaker friends of mine who've done big projects, uh-huh. and they've directed studio pictures, and they say, you know, they have a five-day week, and everyone goes home around 9 p.m., and they've got the weekends off, and it takes them six or seven weeks to shoot. Wow. And I think, wow. I can't imagine what that would be like. I mean, I really can't. I really don't know what that would be like. We, we actually did the editing of this film in close to nine weeks. So, so we really yeah. kept ourselves on a very tight schedule.
0: After years and years in the making, to, to have it all boil down to just a, a few months,
2: uh, that must I be...
1: Know. Yeah, that I know, it's it must... like cooking a really good meal and then consuming <laughs> it in ten minutes.
2: <laughs> did you edit this, uh, you have, uh, yourself, yourself? I worked
1: with the same editor who cut two girls. Her name is Susan Graf, okay. and she is you know every editor is different she's an editor who is also a filmmaker in her heart and she also knows me very very well and she gets my sense of humor and we took this film let me just ask your show is like like, there are people I hope who are listening who are kind of nerdy film people like me Mm -hmm. yeah so I can tell you things like this? Okay. So we took the film from 113 minutes to 88 minutes. And how did we cut all that material out? Because I did four rough cut screenings. And in my first screening, nobody laughed.
0: Well, that that must have felt uncomfortable. Did...
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I, like you were saying, do I like a fast pace? Am, yeah. I, am I a masochist? Um, because I sat in front of our, our invited audience and said, okay, what went wrong? And, you know, people were very frank. I had filmmaker friends. I had friends of friends. And people uh, filled out little forms that we had written. we had to do that three times until we got the picture to where it really seemed to have its own, until, until it, it, it became what it needed to be. Mm-hmm. For instance, it's Sue Graf, my editor, who came up with the idea of putting the climactic scene of confrontation between the three of them at the top of the film. That was uh. not how the film was written.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was going to uh, ask about that.
1: You were going to ask about that? How about that,
0: exactly, the flashback, where did that come from? That you know? came from? Yeah.
1: That came from a couple of things. One was, we did not have, as written, we did not have the kind of opening, establishing shots of Allegra and her girlfriend, Samantha. We just didn't get them. And so we didn't have a clear wow. visual way of getting into the story. And also, we didn't have a clear way of understanding who Allegra was. It was Sue who said, I think we should bring this climactic moment to the beginning of the film, and then I think you need to write some voiceover, and I was very resistant, Mm -hmm. because you always hate voiceover as a filmmaker, but as soon as I saw it, I thought, you know what, this could really work, because our big challenge was, in our first couple of screenings, you guys, people said... I really don't have any sympathy for this character. She's great-looking. She has a great apartment. (laughs) She has a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Yeah. (laughs) So she seemed very unsympathetic, which was not my intention, for heaven's sake. So (laughs) we had to go back and figure out. We actually recut uh, and went back to takes where she was less confident, where she didn't come across as the woman who had everything and knew everything. Right. And then the voiceover, which I think did assist us, I must say. And then it was me who came up with the idea of doing the prologue, act one, act two, act three, uh, to, uh, to echo the thing about, uh, or the theme of being in the opera.
3: Oh, very
2: good. Well, you know, uh, and I have to say, a lot of, uh, I hear a lot reading and, and, and hearing people interviewed about film, how, how they feel about voiceover, and... I know that it is kind of for some filmmakers. It's sort of a cop out. It's an easy way to explain a story. What's well, the anti-show? Don't tell. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I, go, I go back to I go back to a film like the early Woody Allen films, especially Annie Hall, and sure. I think that works very well. And I don't yeah. know that it it isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, Blade Runner and, and and Annie Hall come to mind as good voiceovers. But uh, and it worked. It worked for in this films.
1: There's no way, really, you could say Maria Magenti and Woody Allen in the same sentence necessarily, but... I did. Yes, you did. Um, But I'll I'll tell you one thing, you know, the film nerd in me also knows, which is that Annie Hall was constructed almost completely in the editing room. Mm. And my editor, Sue, said, I think we should watch Annie Hall and get re-inspired about a film that was created in the editing room. And I said, are you trying to make me kill myself? You want me to watch Annie Hall and then think about my film? Are you kidding? What a way to put me on drugs. No way. <laughs> well, there were a lot of Annie Hall moments in the movie. Yeah, that that's true. There are well, a then lot I, of shots. Indeed, and I have had a number of people say to me, you know, was that a conscious?
3: Yeah.
1: You know, I don't know. Is it conscious? Did I say to myself, I want to do like a Woody Allen thing? I really did not say that. I did say, I think it would be incredibly funny if this thing happened. And as you guys might know, if you've ever lived in New York, people will just talk to you out of the blue. And now sometimes <laughs> they reflect your unconscious. And sometimes they're just being in your face. Yeah. But it did not seem... It really... It seemed like a, a device that felt organic to that character and the situation she was in. Mm-hmm. So that's where it came from, really.
0: Now, you said this was cut quite a bit from the, uh, the initial draft mm-hmm, of the film. Mm-hmm. Was there anything similar about what you cut out? I mean, could you look at what you cut out and say, well, that's where I shouldn't... where I went wrong? Or is it just kind of a general, you know, snipping and cutting thing?
1: No, I mean, for instance... Yeah. This is a classic film example. We have Allegra saying to her friends, uh, who's, they say, who's Philip? And, and she says, uh, oh, some guy, you know, he read my book. And, and then she is walking away and says, well, I'm never going to see him again. Well, originally in the script, you cut to him with his girlfriend, Grace, having a huge fight, which was a very, very funny fight, I have to say, dialogue-wise. And then he leaves her. And then you cut to Allegra being at home and Philip has shown up. Well, I mean, the joke that you can't figure out, obviously, until after you've shot it and people don't laugh when you put it together. (laughs) The joke is, I'll never see him again. Cut to, there he is on your living room couch saying, I can't live without you. Which meant that that in-between sequence with Gretchen, which was a delightful sequence, by the way, and she's hilarious and she's crying too much. And I mean, what they say in their fight is very funny. But what it did is it just dragged you down. I mean, the joke is in the editing, mm-hmm. it's in the juxtaposition yeah. of, and it's a classic, you know, it's a banana peel kind of joke. Yeah. I'm never, never going to do that. And then you see them jumping out of a plane, you know.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, yeah. It's that, it's, so those are the kind of things I learned in making this, this movie. Um, I also cut out, and, and ruefully, I must say, on this, for this particular sequence, at the very end, after Allegra sees Philip and Grace in the diner, she actually goes to say goodbye to them the very next day, and there was an extremely sensitive and beautiful performance by Gretchen in which the tone changes quite a bit, uh, in which she tells Allegra that she has gotten herself a dog, and, and she has this lovely monologue about the relationship really between uh, the experience of, of blowing glass and falling in love, which is that uh, you have to break glass at the very end before uh, when it comes out of the oven. She says, and sometimes you break it and the whole thing shatters and you have to start over, and other times it breaks off clean and you have what you wanted, and that's what I feel about love. Sometimes you break the glass and it works, and other times you have to start over. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful scene, and we really didn't know what to do with it until the very end, but I had to... I felt like... Ultimately, this film was a romantic comedy. It's a genre picture in that respect. You have your standard setup of somebody losing a lover, gaining a lover, losing a lover, gaining a lover, usually the same person. And it needed, it needed to get to its conclusion, which is, is she going to be happy? Is she going to be okay? Yes, she is. And there she's going to end up with the one that she was, ultimately should have been with all the time, which is the girl from the beginning, Samantha. Yeah. Uh, so it kind of felt like uh, I'll put that, I'm going to put that scene on the DVD because I think the performance is so wonderful mm-hmm. and
3: it was very
1: hard to let go of. Mm-hmm. But again, I trusted the people who saw the film and my editor by saying it looks like we have three endings. Mm. You know, and sometimes you just have to shut up and get to the, get to the credits. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
2: And speaking of the credits, rolling, We've, uh, we've run out of time here, Maria. Um, the film is Puccini for Beginners and it's Maria Magenti. Magenti. I got yes. it. Oh, I've... you guys,
1: I'm glad you invited me on. This is really, really nice. I really hope that people out there who are listening, you know, don't take me as an advertisement. The film stands <laughs> on its own. I hope hey, you go see it. You are wonderful.
2: Terrific. Thank you, Maria, for Thank being you. on. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much.
0: To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash film school.